Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Millennial Learns. Thank you all so much for tuning in to today's episode. So if you're new here, welcome. We usually have two podcast episodes a week. One is on Monday. Basically, I go over the history of anything or, you know, just something I feel like I don't know well enough. And I research it and I present that research to you all. Then on Thursdays, we go over a state, like the state history, the state symbols, because I want to learn more about America bolster my like American pride and know more about the country that I live in. So I want to know all the histories and everything like that. Um, But we are a couple weeks behind on the state episodes because, you know, I missed a couple weeks here and there. And so I'm going to take this opportunity to get caught up on a Monday episode. So welcome. We're on Indiana, which is the 19th state. I hope you enjoy the episode and let's get into it. So before we get into the actual historical timeline, let's talk a little bit about some of the just fun facts, geography, population, just so we get an idea of where the state is and, you know, what we're looking at here. So the capital of Indiana is Indianapolis. It's it became a state on December 11th, 1816, and it's named Indiana because they bought the land from the Indians. So the land lying along the Ohio River was purchased from the Indians and they just called it Indiana. Pretty straightforward name here. Um, The state motto is Crossroads of America, which it is pretty central. Um, I guess it's a little north, but yeah, it's called the Crossroads of America. 6.7 million people live in Indiana. So That makes it the 16th most densely populated state in the U.S. Um, Okay, I pulled a lot of information about the geography, so let's kind of go through this together. I will leave all the links to these below because sometimes I just read like right off the internet. And so you can go to all these links and see where I'm reading from. So um, for geography, Indiana is divided into three geographical regions. One is the Great Lanes, the Great Lakes Plains, that's in the north, the Till Plains are in central Indiana, and the Southern Plains are in, uh, the Southern Plains and Lowlands are south Indiana. The Great Lakes Plains contain large sand dunes along the shores of Lake Michigan. The landscape varies from flat to gently rolling hills interspersed with a number of lakes and bogs. Um, Okay, so the Till Plain part, is part of the Midwestern Corn Belt, which I didn't even really know was even a thing, Um, but that makes sense because they all grow corn out there. They produce extremely fertile land because there's very good soil in the Till Plain. And then let's see, okay, elevation of Indiana, its range is from 320 feet above sea level to 1,257 feet above sea level. So it's pretty darn flat. I mean, it's a little hilly, like they mentioned, um, but nothing crazy. It's bordering on Lake Michigan. Indiana lays claim to approximately 230 square miles of this major water source and to a 41-mile shoreline. 
The Ohio River also goes through Indiana, the Wabash River, and the White River and the Tippecanoe River, the Kankakee River, St. Joseph and St. Mary's Rivers. There's a lot of rivers. Basically, there's a lot of rivers. <laughs> Lots of water. Um, and they have also three major lakes, Michigan Lake, Wawasee Lake, and Monroe Lake. So if you like water, Indiana is looking like a good option. Um, okay, let's talk about climate. They're pretty, honestly, pretty average in every category. Um, rain. So they get 43 inches of rain a year. The nation average is 38. 22 inches of snow. They're 28 average, like the average of the nation is 28 inches. So it's like six inches less than average. A little bit fewer sunny days on average. They get 186 sunny days and 205 is the national average. The summer high is 85. The winter low is 19. Honestly, that's not that bad. Like I, I've seen some of these other states that seem way, way less comfortable. So the comfort index overall is 7.1 and they kind of base it off an average of seven. So I feel like this comfort index honestly is not telling us very much because it's always, it's always like right around seven. Like I've seen like a 6.8 to a 7.2 maybe, but I want the range to be wider. Like not every state is comfortable. Um, I hope, I desperately hope that they have the Arizona comfort index be low. If they don't have that be low, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to look right now. Hold on. Let me just type this in because I will not trust this. And I will include this on no other episodes. If this does not say that the comfort index is like, le it must be less than six. Okay. I am on the site. Let me just search comfort index. They say it's seven and a half. There is no way. Well, here's the interesting thing, though, actually about Arizona. Not that this is an Arizona podcast, but um, the summer comfort index is like five. So that is extremely low. But the winter comfort index is like an eight. Yeah, it's like an eight or even a nine. This might be getting to nine. Yep. The April comfort index in Arizona is 8.9. So I guess that makes sense. I think, I think here's what it is. In every state, there are some months that are terrible and there are some months that are very good. And it just depends on which state you're in as to which of those months are terrible. So anyway, I feel like it always averages to seven, but whatever. Um, so September, June, and May are the most pleasant months in Indiana. January and December are the least comfortable and it gets to about a 65% humidity range at the most. All right, now let's go through the history, the historical timeline. Now, you, I've been branching out from my normal timeline um, because, I don't know, sometimes e-reference just puts too many things that I don't really care about and not enough of what I do care about. So I did find, I'm trying to get more onto like just more succinct timeline so I don't have to like wade through as we go. 
So I found this one on timetoast.com. It's on the history of Indiana. Okay, so let's get into, we're starting with when Europeans first visit Indiana. Obviously, they were Native Americans. The land was purchased from the Indians, hence the name Indiana. Um, so again, if you're new here, I'm going to do a whole podcast about what tribes lived where, like the history of the natives before we got here, all that. But this timeline starts on April 1st, 1541, when the first Europeans visit Indiana. Okay, so I love this timeline because it's on this graphical layout, and then you can click it and get more information, and it's just so awesome. So it's going to be a breeze <laughs> to read through this. Um, okay, April 1st, we start off with the first time that Europeans visit Indiana. So obviously there were native people there before and I'm going to do a whole podcast about like what tribes lived where because it's kind of hard to like piecemeal all this and really get a picture of like what Native American tribes lived where, what their culture was like. You can't really, it's hard. I just want to dedicate a whole episode to them. Um, so this timeline starts in 1541 when Spaniard Hernando de Soto and his army traveled the American Southeast eventually south oh my gosh hernando de soto and his army traveled the american southeast and eventually crossed the ohio river into indiana at a native american town called caskey which is now called, known as vincennes or vincennes i think it's vincennes since it's french um okay april 3rd 1671 indiana is claimed by the french so the french claimed all the land from Eastern Canada, south to the Ohio River Valley. Now, <laughs> this next one is where it's a little funny. I don't know if you'll <laughs> understand the panic I just went through because this is my second time recording this little section of the timeline because when I clicked on like this next one, which was April 3rd, 1679, Rene Robert Cavalier, Sir de La Salle, um, basically it's talking about how he was a French explorer and fur trader and he visited Indiana. Now, last episode I was talking about Louisiana and I had a whole thing where I didn't know how to pronounce his name. I was like, it's either Cavalier or Cavalier. And I guess I'm just going to say Cavalier. So sometimes when I prep these podcasts, I put multiple links to multiple different timelines so that I can, you know compare them or if one needs more detail I can kind of pull from a different timeline or whatever I thought that I already did the whole Indiana podcast last week for a second and I was recording like the whole wrong state history right now because I was like Robert Cavalier like I know that name did I literally do the wrong state last week or am I doing the wrong state now or whatever? Turns out he went and he explored Indiana and then he went down to Louisiana. Like it said, he came from the Great Lakes region when he visited Indi uh, Louisiana. So I am not doing the wrong state. <laughs> and he explored this area before he went down to Louisiana. So we're a little, we're following his journey here <laughs> through um, his exploration of the U.S. Okay, April 3rd, 1686, French, uh, the first permanent European settlement was created. French traders occupied the native town Kekionga near Fort Wayne. 
It remains a trading post until after the Revolutionary War. Interesting thing that I think they maybe forgot to change about this timeline is that every single date says April 3rd up until this point. So it says like April 3rd, 1671, April 3rd, 1679, April 3rd, 1686. Not sure what's going on there. I doubt it all happened on April 3rd because also on April 3rd, 1702, it says that Vincennes becomes the first town built by Europeans in Indiana. It was not until 1732 that it became a major settlement and was fortified. Vincennes served as the capital of Indiana Territory starting in 1800 and the newly purchased Louisiana Territory for nine months in 1804. So, starting to get some bigger cities and settlements in here. Okay, now some dates actually change from April 3rd, but that's because it's, I feel like it's more modern history so they say that like they also say the french and indian war begins on april 3rd 1754 and april 3rd 1763 it's like some default i think anyway the french and indian war began in 1754 and it ended in 1763 right after the french and indian war ended was pontiac's rebellion and I always like to give, I just want to give a quick review about what Pontiac's Rebellion was because I feel like there's a lot of these mini rebellions that I read about and I get them all mixed up. So for Pontiac's Rebellion, it says most Native Americans sided with the French during the war, including a prominent Ottawa leader named Pontiac. Dissatisfied with British control over the lands, a loose confederation of tribes and warriors began attacking forts and colonists. The violence ended in a stalemate in the next year with both sides still harboring discontent. So... I guess the result was that it showed some resistance, but not a huge, um, like, outcome. Like, not a, not a very satisfying outcome, I guess. Okay, October 7th, 1763, the Proclamation of 1763 was put into place, and it says to keep further hostilities from breaking out, the English issued a Proclamation of 1763 to halt westward expansion at the Smoky Mountains. So we were originally not supposed to go past the the smoky mountains which is pretty darn far east like it's pretty east um so that did not last for too long all right 1768 the word indiana is first applied to the region the indiana land company was responsible for selling land to settlers under the quebec act which is one of the causes cited at as colonial outbreak of rebellion so that was in 1768, so getting right up to the revolution. Okay, so now we have, I gotta make sure I'm doing all these in the right order because it's like graphical, so I feel like some of them are a little bit sneaking in here, like I need to make sure I don't, uh, like I put them in the right order. Um, okay, so 1777, there are Native American raids. The British agents incite Native Americans into attacking Americans along the frontier. Hundreds of settlers are killed and captured. I wonder what that means. British agents incite Native Americans. Oh, because this is in the middle of the war. So yeah, okay, this is 1777. The war has begun. So British, the British people are basically telling the natives to kill the American settlers. So that makes more sense. Um, 
1778, on July 1st, George Rogers Clark leads an American expedition of 175 men into the Ohio River Valley to gain control of it for the Continental Army. They capture two cities and gained the support of Vincennes. Clark captures Fort Sackville, which is in turn retaken by the British, which prompts Clark to return and lay siege to the fort. After the war, Clark and his men are rewarded with land along the Ohio River on the Indiana side, which is now Clark County. It's a lot of war uh, contributions or things happening in Indiana, which is interesting because like the fact that the Revolutionary War was spreading this far west, I guess I didn't think that it did yet because it wasn't like technically a, like it wasn't a state yet, it wasn't a British colony, so I didn't really think it expanded, like the drama of the war expanded that far into Indiana, but it definitely did. Um, okay, February 23rd, 1779, British governor surrenders Fort Sackville to Clark, breaking British power in the Northwest. In 1783, there was the Treaty of Paris, which was the treaty that ended the American Revolution, gave the United States control of all British lands south of the Great Lakes, and that was the land captured by George Rogers Clark that we just read about. So, um... It was officially we were in control of the land. Even though it was not a state yet or anything like that, we still had control of that land. Okay, the Northwest Ordinance went into place in 1787. It was an act by the federal government that by the federal government that created the Northwest Territory from land gained by the British during the war, which is now included in like that that area included all of present-day Indiana. So that was known at this time as the Northwest Territory. All right, 1794, there was this battle called the Battle of Fallen Timbers. It says an American general, Anthony Wayne, defeats Tecumseh and establishes a fort near what was Kekionga and names it Fort Wayne. So that's basically how Fort Wayne came to be. On July 4th, 1800, the territory that made up Indiana until 1816 when it became... A st oh, the Indiana Territory was declared or, or established in 1800. So that was the territory that made up Indiana until 1816 when it became a state. So in all these, you can see it's like it's just a land, then it becomes a, an official territory, and then, like, years later, it usually becomes a state. The territory that was left over from Indiana becoming a state became the Illinois Territory, and that's why we then have Illinois to the west of Indiana. That was originally all part of the Northwest Territory. Um, so, that's kind of how all those states, like, got split up. The Battle of Tippecanoe happened on November 11th, 1811. William Henry Harrison, who was the governor of the Indiana Territory, led an American force against a Native American uprising. The uprising was held by, or was led by a war chief named Tecumseh and his brother, the Prophet. 
Harrison was victorious and gained more land for white settlers. He also caused more resentment, which led to further hostilities with Native Americans in Indiana. In 1813, the capital moved from Vincennes to the town of Corridon. Corridon? C-O-R-Y-D-O-N. That was the state capital for a little bit in there. So three years after the state capital moved, Indiana became an official state. So it became the 19th to join the Union, and it became a state on December 11th, 1816. Two years later, there was a Treaty of St. Mary's, which was, this is one of the many treaties, it says, signed with the various Native American tribes, this one pertaining to the land that encompasses Brownsburg. Um, Indianapolis becomes the capital of Indiana on, in 1825, on January 10th. Um, it says, this, the capital once again moves, this time to the newly built city of Indianapolis. Indianapolis means Indiana City, combining the word for state and the Greek word for city. The city was planned out by Alexander Ralston. He apprenticed um, Lapierre L'Enfant, who planned out Washington, D.C. So he also helped plan out D.C. All right, by January 1st, 1860, Indiana was then the fifth largest state in the Union. And then on September 9th, 1862, the title of this one is Indiana Saves the Union, which is interesting. Um, but it says this, during the Civil War, an Indiana regiment discovered an envelope with several cigars wrapped in paper. The envelope contained orders for a Confederate division that had camped in the same place the Indiana regiment found the envelope. These orders detailed the Confederates' plans and gave the Union an upper hand in the next battle, which they won. The victory halted the Confederate invasion of Maryland and possibly saved the Union. There are so many of these little events, like little tiny things in history. Like, I want to know about all of them because there's these little stories where it's like, if they hadn't found that cigar wrapper, we might, like, slavery might have been not still legal, I'm sure, but legal for a long time. We could have had literally two countries. We could have had the Confederacy and then the North, like America. Like, what if they hadn't found those cigars? I love those fun facts. It's so fun to know. Okay, 1911, we, this kind of jumps a lot, but um, it only has the significant events, which I like. So, 1911, the first Indianapolis 500 race occurred. That was on May 30th, 1911. Although not the first long distance race on the track, which had been built in 1909, this was the first time the famous race took place and drew over 80,000 spectators. So I do have on my bucket list to go to the Indy 500 and I don't even like cars or NASCAR or racing or anything. I just think it would be very fun and it's historical and it's been going on for like over a hundred years, which I think is awesome. Um, okay, November 1st, 1921, Eli Lilly, um, and his company were the first people to mass produce insulin. Lilly became uh, a global researching pharmaceutical company and a major employer in Indiana. Penicillin played a very important role in saving American soldiers' lives during World War II. So good medical knowledge and ingenuity coming out of Indiana. Um, a quarter of the Indiana workforce became unemployed 
in the Great Depression. That was by 1932. And then World War II happened. It says during the 1930s, Indiana had suffered greatly due to the Great Depression. With the start of World War II, the economy in Indiana rebounded. Steel, food, and other products were in high demand, and Indiana had the industry and workforce to meet those demands. Around 10% of the population joined the armed forces. This amounted to 340,000 men and women, in which 10,000 lost their lives. The above picture is of Ernie Pyle, a Hoosier reporter who traveled with soldiers in the Pacific. Obviously, you cannot see the picture because this is a voice-only podcast, but... Um, they show a picture of a of a man who went in World War Two. The next timeline event is literally in 2007 when they won the Super Bowl, and that is why I put multiple timelines on <clears throat> my notes because that is, cannot be all that happened. So I'm switching over to this other e-reference timeline, and we are going to just pick it up from World War Two down essentially. So, 1956, the Northern Indiana Toll Road is completed. Again, maybe not the most important thing on the timeline, but it is what it is. Um, let's see. Well, actually, they don't have much either, to be quite honest. The next one is that there are tornadoes like this these timelines always love tornadoes so in 1974 a series of 148 tornadoes struck the midwest and southern states and many were killed in 1980 an indianapolis businessman herbert baumeister killed 16 men who were mostly gay um the baltimore colts moved to indianapolis in 1984 so the colts actually used to be from Baltimore, which I had no idea. Um, they have all just terrible, terrible timeline things. Like in recent times, it's all natural disasters or explosions or like a jet crash and killed people. So maybe, maybe this first timeline had it right where it's just, you know, they didn't mention anything. So there's nothing I'm seeing here that looks good or uplifting or nice. So uh, we're just going to leave the timeline there. <laughs> um, it is important to note, though, that the Colts won the Super Bowl in 2007. So that's the last one on there. And that is the history of the state. So let's go into my favorite segment, which is the Weird Laws segment. There are 11 in this article that I am presenting you with. This is from onlyinyourstate.com. And let's just go through them really quick. Number one, you are not allowed to spit on the sidewalks in Terre Haute, Indiana. In Warsaw, it is illegal to chuck your couch at your neighbor. I don't know in what situation I'd be doing that. In Indiana, you are not permitted to take baths between the months of October and March. Um, that's definitely not enforced, and I don't know why it was probably ever a law. Probably before indoor plumbing. You can either, uh, number four, you either have to pick kissing or having a mustache. It is illegal to do both. In Gary, Indiana, oh, my computer is so annoying. It keeps, like, scrolling. In Gary, you need to wait for four hours after eating garlic before going to the movies, going to see a show, or getting on public transportation. 
uh, on Main Street in Evansville, it is illegal for you to have vehicle lights on at any time. Pedestrians crossing the highway at night are not allowed to wear any tail lights. Um, forging a check is punishable by a hundred flogs. Horses have the right of way. It's illegal to pass a horse. It's illegal for bars and restaurants to give drinks away for free. What a buzzkill rule that is. And it is illegal for a man to stand in a bar in the state of Louisiana. You have to sit down. So those don't make any sense. <laughs> but those are technically laws that have been passed. Okay. Famous people. I only chose like six of them that I knew. There were a decent amount, but not as many as some of the other states. One of them is Johnny Appleseed. So I didn't even know he was like a real person. Well, is he? All right, breaking news. I Johnny Appleseed was a real person. I did not actually know this, but his real name was John Chapman. I just went to a Wikipedia article about him. His name was John Chapman, better known as Johnny Appleseed. He was an American pioneer nurseryman who introduced apple trees to large parts of Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, and Ontario. Um, he became an American legend while still alive due to his kind, generous ways, his leadership in conservation, and the symbolic importance he attributed to apples. He was also a missionary for the new church and the inspiration for many museums and historical sites, such as the Johnny Appleseed Museum in Urbana, Ohio. You know what's weird though is I'm doing a Indiana podcast and this says that he was born in Massachusetts and he died in Indiana see this is why I don't trust some of these things where I, where you say where is a celebrity from I mean where are they were they born so all this and I'm he's not even from Indiana so Never mind on that one. <laughs> the people who actually are from Indiana are Larry Bird, James Dean, Adam Driver, Jenna Fisher, and Jim Gaffigan. All right, let's talk about state emblems and symbols. So I am on visitindiana.com and they have like not a ton of state symbols listed, but I'm just gonna go through the ones that they do. So. Their state flag is blue and gold, and it was adopted in 1917. It is a, it is 19 stars and a torch. The outer 13 stars represent the original 13 states. The five stars in a half circle represent the states admitted prior to Indiana, and the large star at the top represents Indiana, which was the 19th state into the Union. The gold torch represents liberty and enlightenment, while the rays representing the far-reaching influence of those two attributes. All right, the state bird is the Northern Cardinal. And they don't really put a lot of information as to why they chose this. I'm assuming just because they're very popular in Indiana. It more explains like about the actual bird itself. It says when courting a female, which is brown, the red male cardinal will feed her sunflower seeds to win her affection. It's defensive of its breeding territory and it's been known to fight basically it's reflection in glass and we'll spend like hours doing that so not the brightest bulb but that's fine the state flower is the peony it's a perennial planted in the fall 
for her beautiful spring blooming. Um, ants love peonies. And yeah, it doesn't say why they adopted it. Again, I'm assuming it's just like all over Indiana. The unofficial state pie is known as the Hoosier pie. It says a resolution to name the sugar cream pie as Indiana state pie passed in 2009. The Indiana tradition harkens back to early Amish and, sh and shaker communities. And it's quite delicious. So yeah, sugar cream pie. The state river is the Wabash River. It flows for 411 uninterrupted miles, and it's the longest stretch of free-flowing water east of the Mississippi River. The state song is on the banks of the Wabash far away. I should make sure I'm saying that right. Wabash? Wabash? Um, yeah, so that's the state song. The state stone is limestone. The Tribune Tower, U.S. Pentagon, and Empire State Building are all made of Indiana limestone. So that's a fun fact. The state tree is the tulip tree. It's also known as the yellow poplar, and the tulip tree is the tallest hardwood tree in eastern North America. It can grow taller than 100 feet and live for 150 years. So pretty impressive tree, if I do say so myself. And so those are the state symbols that they listed. Those are the big ones. And then let's do just a few things you can do if you're in Indiana, if you ever find yourself in Indiana. So the first one is the Indiana Dunes National Park. Looks very cool. There's sand dunes. If you like nature activities when you are traveling, definitely check out the Dunes National Park. Um, there's the Children's Museum of Indianapolis, which is a big hit. I saw that on multiple attractions lists. Um, another one is Notre Dame. The University of Notre Dame is in Indiana and it is beautiful. Like the campus looks so nice. So I would love to go visit Notre Dame actually. Um, that'd be very fun. You have the Wellfield Botanic Gardens, which look very, very pretty. I love a good botanic garden and it seems like they really have a good one. The Indianapolis City Market seems super like cute and just like you get all these little small business things there. It's like looks really, really cute. You have the Belterra Casino Resort. This one, honestly, I would not put on the top of my list, but some people I'm sure like it. There's an exotic feline rescue center you can go to. Uh, so yeah, they have like big tigers and big large cats that they are helping out so you can go see all of them they have the north slope so they have some skiing even though maybe i'm jaded because i'm from colorado i don't even go skiing so i don't know why i have this complex where i'm like in the midwest like i've heard a few of my friends are from ohio and they say that they go and ski and they're like it's a it's a bunny hill like the biggest hill is a bunny hill come to colorado if you're going skiing you know so um, yeah, so that, those are the ones I kind of wanted to highlight, um, cause those are the ones I thought were the best. Oh, there's also the Indianapolis catacombs, which is pretty cool. Um, let's see what it says about that. It says also known as the market street catacombs and Indianapolis catacombs are hidden, are a hidden gem for tourists, photographers, and adventure seekers. They're 
they cover more than 20,000 square feet below the city, and with their twisting, dimly lit tunnels made of crumbling limestone, they form an amazing underground labyrinth. They're largely hidden from the public, and many Indianapolis residents don't even realize they're walking on top of them. So, that'd be very cool, and that's a good one to end on. If you know any other great places in, in Indiana, let me know, and I will do maybe like a little, uh, what's it called, like an on an encore. I'll just add another segment to the podcast explaining like, oh, you should also go here. So um, that is all for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a lot about this Hoosier state. And um, I will let you know if I go to Indiana because honestly, it seems seems pretty cool. seems like there's a lot of good nature and um, some good things to do while there. So that is all. Thank you all so much for listening. And I will see you on Thursday with another episode. Bye, everyone.